Today's episode is brought to you by Creative Edge Publicity. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Langling, and I am so happy that you are spending just a small part of your day with myself and my special guest today, Carrie Carter. She has a profound love for Japan, cats, sumo, dioramas, and eating unusual foods. Numerous trips to Japan with her husband has inspired her first book, Whiskers Abroad, a human and a feline perspective on traveling in Japan. Currently, Carrie is working on her second book, a sequel to Whiskers Abroad, where the characters explore further into Japan and get themselves into interesting predicaments. Carrie lives in Houston, Texas, and is a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin. Carrie, thank you so much for being with me on Let Fear Bounce today. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm really excited. Now, first off, I love the fact that you wrote a book about you and your husband and your cat on a journey. <laughs> well, I have to I have to confess though, my husband's not really in this book. Oh, okay. Be in, <laughs> Just leave him in out. a sequel. Yes. <laughs> Regardless, I, was, I love that you've got your cat in it and you know, you have the cat's perspective in the book cuz I I write a lot of short conversations between me and my dog and all the critters that live in my realm. So when I was reading your Bible, a Bible, your bio and looking uh, at some of your stuff online, I was like, oh, a kindred spirit. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all talk to our pets and have conversations with them, even though some people might not want to admit to it, but come on. I think we all talk to our animals, just there's some of us that actually put it down in words and put it out into the world. (laughs) Right, right. So how did you come up with the idea for this book and adding your cat into it and going on all these adventures? All right. Well, I'll try, I'll try to keep this short. <laughs> so <laughs> I work in corporate America and I've always pretty much worked in corporate America and it's just a really bad fit for me. So every year I make a list of all the things I like and I send it out to my friends and I say, come up with a career for me. <laughs> and it's got some weird stuff on it, like cats and that, well, I guess cats and coffee aren't weird, but like reading about infectious diseases and I have this whole list. And a couple of years ago, I guess five years ago, my sister goes, why don't you just take a bunch of them, combine them and write about it? She's like, write about cats in Japan and coffee. And I was like, you know, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that sooner? <laughs> So then when I decided I was going to write a book about the cat in Japan, and it was going to be like purely fiction. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll do like a spy novel. And then she's like, why don't you just make it about the traveling around? You've traveled a lot. You know, I was like, yeah, that's a good idea too. <laughs> so my sister played a part in the decision. I love that you said once a year, around once a year, you send out, <laughs> <I do. laughs> you send out a question you know, give me a career to your friends and such. That's an awesome idea because I can only imagine the fun and unique things that people have come up with for you to do. Plus your friends know you, you know, in a lot of ways, sometimes I think they know you better than yourself. I agree. I do agree <laughs> with that. They, they see the quirks that we no longer see. Or things we don't want to see. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Or we just blatantly ignore. <laughs> So how, how does your cat fit into the stories? What, what type of personality does your cat have? He's a little bit on the arrogant side. I think a lot of cats are. It seems like they either going to be arrogant or scared of everything, you know. And he likes attention. And he likes people being saying he's handsome. 
he's always scared of situations to begin with. But then he, once he gets into them, he's just like, this is great. Or, you know, I'm glad I did this. So he's always in the moment. Of course, I think cats are in the moment. They don't think about the future. They're just like right here, right now. <laughs> yeah, they, they regally walk around saying, this is my domain. Yes, yes. <laughs> And he does worry about his owner of getting into stupid situations. Like, you know, if she, he wasn't around, she'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Ah, okay. Okay. Or at least so, he thinks so. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So what made you want to write this book? You know, like I said, I just, I combine things I love. I like going to Japan and visiting. I like, I love Japanese food. I like cats. I like writing. I just like fiction. I like lighthearted, kind of quirky, goofy stuff. Well, I wrote this book hoping it would also inspire people to maybe want to learn more about Japan or even maybe wanting to go to Japan. And that's an awesome, that's awesome because I, I personally have never been over there and I've never really thought about it. So I love that you're doing that and it gives some, some, it gives people out there something to think about and to consider because here in America, although it's a huge country and every state is different. And there's amazing things to see. There's a whole big wide world out there. Yep. Yeah, it's always hard to decide where to go if you want to take a vacation. There's so many just interesting places. Right, right. And experiences that, you know, you can't fathom. You know, so, right. Yeah. Until you're into it. Until right. You're until you're into it. it. Right, right. So <laughs> what other places have you traveled to? I know you've been to Japan numerous times. What other countries have you traveled to? Um, I've been to South Korea, and uh, this is a little side note. In terms of a tourist, South Korea has got the best setup. They've got the most amazing website with information. They have people on the street in red shirts that are volunteers to help you if you're lost or looking for something particular. They've got a free number you can call. It's got a translator on the end. So I'm like, it's really set up. For now, you're not going to see things written in English too much, but we got on us, we borrowed a cell phone, we called that number, and they translated the menu for us once. <laughs> That's awesome. So and what, a, really what a great, great idea that they've got people out there in red shirts to help you if you're lost or just trying to figure out where you're going or what you're doing. What an awesome idea. Yeah, we were trying to find, there's a museum called Chicken Art Museum, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's all chicken art. <laughs> <laughs> And we're trying to find it. We're looking at this map and these two women come up in red shirts and they start talking to us and they're like, can we help you with the tourist board? And they told us where to go and they took us down there. They walked us down to the museum. Well, that is so awesome. A lot of people wouldn't know that. Mm -mm. God, their website's amazing though, with all the information on it. I'm just like, man, this is, whoever did this deserves an A plus. Right, right, right. <laughs> So what is, what is something about when you travel, because you sound like you're well-traveled, what is like a little quirk that you have or something that you have to take with you, you know, that's something that, you know, other folks might not think of, or it's just a little quirky on your end. This is not really quirky. I'll get to a quirky one, but moleskin, bring some moleskin <laughs> in case you get blisters. Because you know what I found? Most countries don't sell moleskin. It's an American thing. Maybe ah. Canadian too. I have not seen it abroad. <laughs> Good tip. Good tip. Yep. Um, mostly I'll just, I'll bring, what I do before I go is like, I'll read people's personal blogs. And that's where I get ideas to go do things. You know, I'll just Google images and click on things that are interesting and read about them. So I'll make a list of things that I would like to see. Now I'm not 
it's not in stone. I don't have to do it. It's all just maybe. And I'll bring that list with me wherever I go. It's, you know, potential ideas, potential things to go do. What's the strangest food that you've tried? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I'm sure there's um, a lot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I actually have to say, I don't know if it's necessarily the strangest, but it was definitely the grossest tasting food. Is I had stingray and some sort of sauce. And I, it was on a buffet and I didn't know what it was. I'm just like, oh, yeah, let me try that. I ate that and I was like, this is horrid. <laughs> and then the chef came out and I was like, what is this? He's like, stingray. I'm like, oh, okay. Remind me never to eat this again. <laughs> was it because of the texture? It was the taste. I'm thinking it might have been fermented too. Oh, oh. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, it tastes like what it sounds. Fermented. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just kind of going, ugh. <laughs> I think the worst thing that I tasted that I just, I just couldn't get past. I was in Germany and it was blood sausage. Oh, I, I, uh, I thought that was okay. I, I gagged. I, it, I just, I couldn't get past it. And now that was one thing I'm like, no, I tried it. I can say I tried it. And I almost threw up right in the middle of the street, but <laughs> I did not. <laughs> now, when I was in Palau, I wished I had tried it was kind of expensive, but they, they sell fruit rat there. And I kind of wish I would tried it. But then the couple at the table next to me ordered it, and they literally brought out a full-on bat in a bowl. Oh. <laughs> With the fur on and the head and the teeth. Oh. And, yeah. I, I know, I know. I gotta, this, is, this is a podcast. People can't see my face right now, but I'm just like, oh. I'll send you a, I'll send you a photo. I took a photo of it and we were watching, everyone's watching the woman eat it. And she goes, tastes like chicken. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. I probably would have had the pass. Hmm. Oh yeah. I've eaten some weird stuff in China too. Oh, I bet. I, yeah. I went with my friend and they put us on a tour group because her mom, her mom took us and her mom loves tours. And I became known as the American who will eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> so then they would go out of their way to get me to try stuff. <laughs> right. The weirder, the better. Yes. I think the worst was a bowl of soup. And they gave it to my friend and she's like, oh, I can't eat this. And I hadn't looked at it yet. I'm like, well, pass it over. I'll eat it. And I put my spoon in it and a little, little bird, like a sparrow looking bird floated to the top. Um, feathers, eyes, the whole thing. I was like. I think I'll drink the broth. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I could have drank the broth. <laughs> no, it probably had some sort of mites or something in there. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. You know, and we as Americans, we have, and it all seems very weird and strange and gross to us, but that's normal to them. Yeah. You know, that's their culture. But just, uh, I can imagine the, the faces and the looks and the comments that they get over there regularly from Americans when they're trying new things. I, to have the entire animal in full sitting in front of me or floating to the top of a bowl, um, I'd probably just say, do you have any bread? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, eat I mean, bread. Thank cultures, you. <laughs> a lot of cultures do the whole chicken, whole head and everything on it when they serve it at the table. Yes. Yes. I have noticed that. And I, 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 for whatever reason, I mentally can't get past it if I see the entire carcass. <laughs> Yes. Well, I have to say when I'm at home, I eat predominantly plant-based and I don't eat chicken or beef, pork, 
Now, when I'm on vacation, I'll eat whatever. <laughs> you just go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get started writing? Yeah, we're taking a total, you know, total turn. Right. <laughs> how did you get started writing? I've been writing off and on for pretty much my whole life, starting in third grade. Because I used to read Trixie Belden and Nancy Drew and I read some of the Hardy Boys, but I didn't like them. But, you know, I'd read whatever my mom would get me, Ramona Quimby. So then I decided I was going to write my own books starting in third grade. And they were all looked the same. And I'm like, I still have some of them. I'm like these little stories. And you can tell I like Trixie Belden because they're kind of two friends that go on an adventure and they'd be doing solving this mystery. And then they'd get hit on the head and knocked unconscious. Like every story. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, boy, these kids have concussions. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I started writing then and then just kind of off and on. I just started doing more, paying more attention to it and saying like the last five, 10 years. I've written some screenplays too, but they've not gone anywhere. But, you know, so I've been writing something, but I've never really tried chopping it around until recently. So you've got your first book out. And you're work currently working on the second. Do you have anything yes. else out there that's published? Not yet. You know, I've got the, we're going to, I want to do a sequel to Whiskers Abroad. It's kind of having to take in a different path because of the pandemic. Originally, I planned to go back to China. I mean, China. <laughs> I was trying to get back to Japan. <laughs> but uh, with it, the borders are basically closed. They say they're open, but you have to go with a tour group that controls where you go when you go and so I need more freedom than that to be able to do notes and stuff so I'm thinking of redirecting to either South Korea or Thailand for the sequel awesome so do you have anything else outside of you know the adventures you know of whiskers any other ideas that have been percolating the back of your head and you're thinking well maybe one day I'll write about that oh gosh like 5,000 <laughs> 5,000 <laughs> yeah. ideas um I, I took the screenwriting class and one of the things he made me do was an idea every 30, every day for 30 days, which is a really interesting exercise to do because once you start, at first you're going to be like, um, oh, don't have ideas. And then they start getting more and more ideas and then you'll see something in the news and they'll spring something like, oh, that would make a great, great short play or a great story or a great novel. And it's a really great exercise just to get you thinking. So basically every day I'm coming up with an idea. <laughs> That's an awesome, that's an awesome idea. What a great tip. Now, when you do that, as you're doing, as you're going through the days, do you see a pattern emerge at all? Or are they just all completely random? No, it's all random. I'm kind of a random person anyway, yeah. so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, mine would be random as well. <laughs> completely random. If anyone would look at the list, they'd be like, where, where was your brain? I'm like, all over the place, of course. <laughs> Right. And I've got like two novels I've been kind of working back and forth on that are three fourths away done of a rough draft. So I'm like, I need to just pick one and finish it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That old the old procrastination thing yes. kicks in. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. <laughs> but yes, they're drastically different. One's a romance novel. Oh, wow. And then one of them's more like a book club type novel with, the, you know, in 1962 with the astronaut selection at the Rice Lofts. I guess they were oh. the Rice Hotel at that time. <laughs> Those are pretty different from each other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because I'm like, probably my publisher's like, don't go all over the place like that. <laughs> okay, you've got a couple things on the back burner. You're working on a sequel to Whiskers Abroad. 
what else do you do outside of writing? What's something that the listeners, you know, that's interesting or different about you personally that you do like in your personal life or something that you do to just unwind? Well, I don't know about unwinding, but <laughs> I do have a 80s cover band that I started in, back in 2000 and we're still going strong. And so we play like corporate parties and weddings and we only play music from the 80s. That is awesome because I'm a product of the 80s. <laughs> so what kind of songs do you guys play? And then what do you do? Do you have an instrument or do you sing or do you do both? I'm keyboard player. I sing backups and I do like goofy dancing. <laughs> well, you have to have goofy dancing in. <laughs> you know how there's some bands and you go see them, they've got like sexy dancing and I'm like, no, right. that ain't us. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's okay because I think it makes the audience cut more comfortable because they're there for a wedding. They don't want to see someone look better than they do. <laughs> right, exactly. So what songs do you guys do? Oh, gosh. I think our, like, favorite, I'll go with our top favorite songs everyone's always wanting to hear, like Sweet Child and Jesse's Girl and Don't Stop Believing. You know, everyone always wants to hear those. Journey. And it's so mm -hmm. funny that you say that because I'm going very soon here in a few days from the time of this recording to go see a Journey covered band. Um, nice. And they're one of my favorite all-time bands. And right before I got on here to record with you, I was literally cranking really loud <laughs> the album Escape by Journey, just cranking it and don't stop believing and, you know, faithfully and, oh my goodness, love Journey, love Journey. So how many, <laughs> how many people are in your band? Is it all women or is it a mix? No, it's a mix. There's five of us together. There's me on keyboards, bass player, guitar player. My husband's in the band too, drummer. And we just got a new singer and we call her baby Ringwald. <laughs> she's like, she's like half the age of all of us. <laughs> oh yeah. That is awesome. Well, what, what made you start up? You said you've been doing it for years. What made you start up an 80s cover band? Okay, so I was working at the Houston Country Club in the banquet department, and I would see all these different cover bands come in. And I always thought, man, that looks like a lot of fun because I played keyboards and piano. And then one day a band came through and they were playing 80s music. So I was talking to them and it turned out they were from New York. And I was like, why did they hire someone in New York and not someone from Houston or Texas? And she's like, my understanding is there's no band doing just strictly 80s music. I was like, well, there you go. Right. That's, that's going to be my band. <laughs> that is so, so how, how long have you guys been doing it? 22 years. Wow. Now, there's lots of bands in Houston doing 80s music, but we were the first one to start it. So what's the name of the band? Okay, you ready? I am. <laughs> <laughs> Molly and the Ringwalds. Oh, see, I get I get that play on words and what yes. you're doing there. I'm yes. from I'm from that era, so I get it. I wonder how many listeners out there are gonna get it. Molly Ringwald gets it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she knows we exist. <laughs> oh, does she really? Yeah, she does. <laughs> um, we were going to be on the Tony Danza show. They were going to fly us up to New York. We were going to be on the show. We were going to play a song. And we were going to meet Molly Ringwald. Wow. And then some big news event happened. And they shifted to that. We got canceled. Oh, but, <laughs> but you, were, you were offered that trip. And how awesome is that? 
Yes, but that also means Molly Ringwald knows we exist and she's That's not right. coming after us with a deceased letter. <laughs> right. Oh, what an awesome story. I love that. What an awesome story. So you're a keyboard player in an 80s band and an author. What else? What else do you do? I'm sure you've got other things that you're doing. Well, I used to run marathons, like like how I said used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did take note of that. <laughs> Well, the pandemic happened when we got like kind of locked down at the beginning of it i'd go to the park to run and there were like oh there were so many people it was like shoulder to shoulder and i'm like i'm running with the same group of people all breathing heavy <laughs> this isn't good so i kind of just stopped and once i stopped i'm like hadn't got back to it but before that i was running i'd run a marathon either houston marathon typically houston but I have run like the Tokyo Marathon and Honolulu. So every once in a while I would deviate out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to mix it up a little bit, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> so what's something that you have not yet done that you want to do? Do you have a bucket list? I do. I do. Let me see if I can remember what's on it. Cause I put a hundred things on it. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I really, really want to do. It's on like my one of my top list. I'm gonna to go to Tahiti in July and see the Heva, which is a big festival dance contest competition. You know, and they dance in these groups of like 50, 100 people at once, and then they also have individuals, and it goes on, and they have all like, like horse racing and foot races and musics and music competitions, and so I really want to go see that. That sounds awesome. They say when you go into the stadium, because all the costumes are made from plants and flowers. Oh, wow. That you can smell it. You can smell the flowers. Oh, I bet you could if everything's made from it. Yes. <laughs> what, a, what an awesome sight that would be just visually. Yeah. And I'm like, that's on my list is to go see. And the coolest thing I thought, well, I think it's cool. Maybe the people involved don't, or maybe they do, or... They get together, like the whole family, everyone will get together in the village or city and they will make the costumes together. They'll go get the stuff and then make them. And I was like, how fun would that be? It's a big community thing. And I was cool. just like, why the community? Yeah, a sense of community and a sense of, you know, kind of a purpose with everyone. Right. So on all these travels and places that you've been in different cultures that you've experienced, does that play a big part in your writing? Oh, I, absolutely. I think it does. I don't think there's any way it couldn't, you know, yeah. because sometimes it's just little weird things you see or her makes their way into the writing. I, I would have to agree with that. Just even not having traveled extensively, just little things that you might see in your day to day thing. I think a lot of people, at least I know I used to be and well, I still am to a point um, curious as to, you know, an author's life outside of their stories, you know, what is it that they experience that they're able to, to use that type of sentence or those particular words that just slam you, you know, right. when I read a book and I can, and I always say fall into it, when I can fall into a book and lose myself and I can't put it down and I read a whole book in a day and then you look up and it's dark and you're going, <laughs> I just read for six hours. That was awesome. And then you're sad that the story ended. <laughs> right. And I often wonder, you know, how do that, how does that author's brain work that they can just weave all these words together in such an amazing way that just transports me to a different place in time? Right. Like how they come up with it, you know, 
what experiences they have that allow them to do that. Right. And I think I, w- I was talking to a couple gentlemen yesterday and they were authors as well. And we were talking about the different quirks and things that creative people have. And since the three of us are authors, that's what we were going with. But I want to ask you about this because it's been stuck in my head since last night. We all agreed that everybody creative has some sort of something that's happened in their life or that they deal with, whether it's anxiety or depression, or there was some sort of trauma in their past that they carry with them and their creativity and their writing is a release for them. Is any of that true for you? I not, I'm kind of the opposite, <laughs> which I guess is a good thing. You no, know? it, is, well, a yes, it thing. is a good thing. But you always hear, you always need something bad or this and that to happen to help you kind of create. But I'm like, well, had a great childhood, have a great marriage, you know, nothing horrible has happened. Mostly nothing horrible happened, but you know. <laughs> so I'm like, well, and I think it's just being open to experiences and observing things. You know, my dad would always tell me stories as a kid and he would just be like, observe the people around you and what's going on, you know? And that is so true. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Just observe and keep an open mind, you know, to me. And that's so important. I love nothing better than being in a place I've not been in and just people watching. Yes, agree. (laughs) You know, and, and it doesn't matter where it's at. It could be the airport or a different city or, you know, Walmart, you know, right. but just observing people. And I, I, I often pick out things that most don't notice. That's the thing. A lot of people just don't notice stuff. Like I was once with somebody and we were in a train station and there was two men and they started fighting like fist fighting because one guy, he was claiming the other guy owed him money for heroin. Oh my God. And the person I was with didn't even see it, didn't even know this. I'm like, they're like six feet from us. How could you not see that? (laughs) I love being observant and checking things out. And I know when my daughter, when my daughter was younger, she's now in her thirties, but when she was younger and with other friends over the years, being in a public place, I would sit there and I would have a whole story for this person in front of me. You know, I'd see this very interesting looking person and I'd be like, all right, that person is just divorced, recently divorced, (laughs) trying to find themselves. They hate their job. Their dog died, you know, and I go on with this and I would come up with this whole scenario for this person. And then it was just a game that we played, you know, over the years. And it was always very interesting. And I think that was a lot of, this was well before I even decided to start you know, putting pen to paper and writing down my little short stories. But I think that that maybe was like the beginning, you know, do you do that? Do you see people and give them your own take on, you know, what their, what you think their life is? Oh my gosh. All the time. Especially when I'm running, like if somebody passes me, I'll be like, he's got a twin brother and he plays bass in a band and he's an English teacher and he's looking for true love right now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you give them accents? You know, I've never given them accents, but now I've got something to think about. <laughs> yeah, I, I give I give them accents and I write I write a lot of short little for myself, but I'm literally going to put this in a book and I think I've said it 25 times in the last six months. So I'm, I definitely have to do it now, but I, I talk to critters 
you know, I have these conversations, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, between me and my dog or me and the critters out, you know, I live in the country. So there's all, you know, bugs and animals and everything. And I will write little stories about this conversation I'm having with maybe a cicada. And I gave him a very proper British accent. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just how I heard him in my head or, you know, a little wood sprite out in the woods, you know, these little you know, fantasy little tiny mm-hmm. people. And she had not, she has an Irish accent and she wears a mushroom cap for a hat, you know? I can see so, that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I often will, when a character comes into my head or I'm looking at an animal, this is a lot how it comes. I'm looking at an am- animal and I can't think of them without an accent. The conversation doesn't come unless they have an accent. That's interesting. I, I was wondering if I'm, I've not met anybody else that does that. No, I can't say I give them accents. Now, sometimes when I have a narrator and I'm thinking of a narrator telling the story, they either have an Irish accent or British accent. (laughs) I don't know why. You know, when I think of a narrator, I think of um, Sam Elliott's voice. Oh, nice. That's a good one. (laughs) Yes. He's got a great voice or Sean Connery's voice. Mm, Yes. Yeah. He had a classic voice. That's for sure. That is for sure. Well, my gosh, time has flown. Time has flown. This has been such a fun conversation, Carrie. I am so <laughs> glad that you were my guest today. I definitely want to have you back on when you've got that second book going out into the world, because I want to hear about all the experiences of you and Whiskers. And since you said your husband's going to make a, an appearance in the second yes, book, he's hear coming about in the that. second book. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being my guest today on Let Fear Bounce. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad you had me on. It was a lot of fun. Thank thank you. you. And we will talk soon, I am sure. So everybody out there listening, thanks so much for joining myself and Carrie today on Let Fear Bounce. It's been an absolute pleasure again, Carrie, for having you here. Everybody out there, have a wonderful day. Be well, stay well, and be blessed.